So for any of you out there who always go, I want to be an artist, and you're in your 30s, this is the interview for you to listen to. Because I interviewed an artist who I represent, actually, Mel Smothers. And that's exactly what he did. This guy lived a really interesting life from drag racing to being a hippie on a commune through the summer of love. But he finally found his niche in painting. And not only did he find his niche, but he ended up working with the likes of Wayne Tebow and Gregory Condos and had all sorts of interesting interactions uh, with artists, including in New York, where he now has a gallery. So this is one of those wonderful interviews that just comes along every so often, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. I'm here today with Mel Smothers. Hello. You look great. <laughs> and you just traveled how far? Where did you come from? Well, uh, Isla Mirada, it, which is in the Florida Keys, Yeah, and that's, um, I don't know if we're with 2,000 miles or so, <laughs> but it's a, it's a great trip. So you're coming from, so just so people, first of all, who are you? Let's just let our audience know who you are. Uh, I'm Mel Smothers. Yep. Originally from Sacramento. Yep. And he's an artist, a real artist. I'm an artist. That's right. In fact, I would say that this, to me, this podcast really is about the life of an artist. Because, you know, for the first time we ever met was in New York City. So, and a little back history on you and, and our relationship is that, um, you contacted me about your art online, and I responded not only gutturally, because I really liked it, um, but I said, yeah, I really want to show your work. And I think it's important for artists out there to realize that that actually can happen if you, you, know, if you do contact galleries in the pr- yeah. appropriate way and you have the right stuff. You know, sometimes you know, people go, yeah, I want to I show your work, and I did. And so we met in New York City for the very first time. And so now tell me how you ended up in New York City, Florida, to here today. Well, I know, long story. the long yeah. story of the short we, we story. Have the, the good news is we have time for the long story. Yeah. Um, the, and, and that sounds good. I'll start out with just a, a quick synopsis of it is that I uh, was a painter, and I just kept following my uh, my feelings on painting, and I had no plans of going to New York City, but it just seemed like the next step. Right. And I did it, and uh, then I'm I'm in New York, and everybody goes down the East Coast, and I went down to uh, uh, I was able to show yeah. at um, uh, Miami Beach, the Basel down there, right, with a, a yeah. group. Uh, from the University of Florida. Now, tell me when this was. When was it? What year was um, it? Hmm, like 2000, uh, uh, maybe, let's say nine, eight yeah, or nine, right. somewhere in that area. Yeah. Uh, the good years, as we like to refer to. <laughs> well, that's really true. You know? That's really true. When I first came to New York, it was very much different uh, than just after the recession. Things right. changed Quite a bit, but I was in, in, yeah, pretty dramatically. And I was in at the tail end and I thought, gosh, this is great. This is really nice. And then that hit and that it, it changed quite a bit for me, at least in, in Mel's world, art world. Yeah. I think for Uh, for all artists. And I don't mean financially, but, uh, just, uh, the, the techniques and, uh, the housing, just a whole, whole change of the environment that I was in. Yeah, what do you and mean I don't mean say, for you, badly either, just evolved yeah, what, after what that. What do you mean when you say techniques? Change? Well, I saw, I, I saw like when I, I was first going to um, art fairs, because one of the things when I, when I moved to New York was, okay, how am I going to make this work? Right. And it had taken me a lot of years to be in the position where I could even have a studio in New York. And it right. was... It was this real house of cards that could fall apart. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of unknowns financially that I just took a chance that would work out. And they did. Right. By the thinnest of margins, you know, they <laughs> slipped through so that I could be an artist in New York. And you were located where at that time? Because I met you at Soho, I think, uh, Yeah, right? Yeah, when I first came in, um, uh, I had a studio in Harlem Yeah. up on the fourth floor of a walk-up. Uh, wonderful studio, and I love that. Uh, then I I uh, moved out to Bushwick because mm-hmm. everybody was going to Bushwick, mm-hmm. and I was trying to avoid what everybody was doing. But 
after being there a year or so, I, I knew that this was what I had to do. And, and Bushwick was terrific. You know, I had a loft that I could live, mm-hmm. work in, and a big, big space, about 1,600 square feet. Right. It was affordable. And part of my plan was that I had to sublet my loft in the summertime because I still had obligations in California that I had to come back every summer. Mm-hmm. And uh, and part of being able to do that was that I could sublease right. this loft in right. New York City, right. which I'd never done or knew anything about. And it turned out it worked. Yeah. That there was there was we always had somebody come along, and we we met some great people from uh, those summer uh, interns would rent it. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple of fellows from uh, artists from Italy that uh, years later I went to Venice and uh, met them and. Uh, so it's it was a real great yeah, time. So to make it as a as an artist, you had to not only paint, you had to probably find art galleries too, right? In yeah. New York. Yeah. Know, and you had to sublease your, uh, or we can say sublet if you want sublet, because <laughs> I love that <laughs> uh, your your piece, your uh-huh. your house to make it to make it work. That's now, right. Now, having said all this, um, let's just back it up a little bit. I mean, you've been doing art for a very long time at this point, right? Yes, I have. I mean, it's not like you're, you know, day two or day year four. I mean, you've been making art yeah, for a very long time. I have. And how did you, and I'm just going to back you up a little bit because I'm interested in this. I think it's, you know, again, if we're talking about the life of an artist, first yeah. let me just ask you this question. Did you always know you wanted to be an artist as like a kid? Uh, that's true. I did. Yeah. I think every artist that yeah. I know, and even at least all that I represent, yeah. they always know. Do you remember when that was? Well, I do. And there's a, a good, a nice little story about that, is I do know, um, for one thing, uh, my family was never for artists. Um, mm-hmm. My dad was a very poor, uneducated guy from the South, uh, very much a, a racist, and yeah. uh, wound up in California when he finally got a job, yeah. and... Uh, uh, he's got a great story, and by the time his life got over, he sort of accepted his artist son. But yeah. for a long time, that wasn't. That you was know, he was very discouraging of all that. Yeah. And my mom came from a, a big Mormon family in the mountains out of Utah. Wow. Uh, and and my grandpa on that side was just if if uh, if there's an equivalent to Maynard Dixon, it'd be my grandpa. Yeah. And my mom would say that you know that he can't pass up a dirt road. Yeah. They'd be going down the family, and uh, they had no money, and uh, their adventure would be taking a dirt road out in the desert. But he, but no artists on either side. No of your artists family. on either side, uh, and I tried to fit into the mold that I knew my folks wanted yeah. me to do: uh, right. get a job, uh, uh, just follow that. Because right. they were the worried. Path. They they went through real hard times. Yeah, they, they were and they were very babies. worried yeah. for me. And and everything that I wanted to do, they could see as being a no cash bringing in right. type because <laughs> I was more interested in the um, uh, the the philosophy of things you know the it, the enjoyment the the joy and yeah. so whenever I heard anybody talk about uh, you do things for the joy of it it was like uh, food for me yeah. you know catnip because uh, in my family and the in the the relatives it was all about uh, being practical and getting to work and so what did you do as that? Because clearly then you probably had a different job oh, or yeah. before you ever got into art because oh, you had yeah. to, to find that. So what yeah. did you do for that well, first we, quarter century? Well, we, we, I had a chance to grow up on farms. My dad would always love to get a farm. And um, uh, so I, I, let's see. Uh, so I was geared toward... Uh, uh, I mean, my first job was like at a hamburger stand, but I spent all my money on cars. So because I grew up on on farms, I learned how to make things. You yeah. would make things work, plus being a kid. And this was Utah you grew up in? Uh, no, no, this had been California. Sacramento oh, in, in Sacramento. the Sacramento Valley. Yeah. Sacramento okay. Valley landscapes. So, so this all pays off later. Right, yeah. And so we would live on these farms with all that that uh, we see now in painting, but at the time I didn't know any of that. Yeah. Uh, so I had an interest in... Cars, uh, we lived in a, a town, uh, Houston, California, mm-hmm. a little farm town, and uh, they showed me how to drive the hay truck. You know, I was about 14, mm-hmm. and the next thing I do is I drive the hay truck into town. You know, hey, this is yeah. a lot of fun. Right, it's better so than I, being in the hay fields, I can assure you. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so I loved uh, I loved cars and I loved being inventive and right. so I and actually my first art sort of went towards sculpture because of that. Yeah. You know, bailing wire and making things work and I just loved all that. Oh, very good. Uh, and what years would this have been? Oh, in high school. Yeah. Kind of yeah. high school thing, which led me into uh, racing cars. I had an uncle that was uh, into. Uh, uh, drag racing mm -hmm. in the 40s or the 50s. He yeah. was a real old time guy with the flatheads. And I just loved him and I loved uh, seeing the pictures of his car. So I went that route through high school. I, uh, I wound up uh, with this little first little job as buying a dragster. And I was the only kid in high school. I, I had to borrow the car to get to school, but I had a dragster yeah, on a trailer wow. and, on the, and on the weekends. <laughs> and it was. You know, it was real funky and all that, but I loved it. And I had a brother, my older brother, who uh, liked going to. And were you making these sculptures at this time? No, you... no, I wasn't thinking art at all. No, not yet. No, not this really. was all. This is before I realized about doing the art. And, right. And so cars were were that form yeah. that I, I mean, I realize now looking back at the time, you don't know. You're just a kid going right. through, uh, following your, but. But you had to invent things all the time with a race car. Yeah. And especially if you had no money and you had a race right, car. Right, right. Uh, so eventually it led to, uh, after I uh, got out of high school, I wound up uh, going to work for a chassis builder. Mm -hmm. And the chassis builder uh, was on his way up. He wound up building a car for uh, Don Garlitz. Uh, I wound up uh, being a fabricator with him, making parts, just two of us. In his garage. Mm -hmm. uh, was uh, that an art field? I mean, did that feel like making art at that time when you're making? Not you, at that time. I was, I did, was, I was in anything. Now it was art. Yeah, right. But I didn't I mean, know you're that. Making you know, very specific things that fit. Yeah, this guy's name was Daddy Garland, right? When yeah, that, yeah. Uh, uh, John Shoemaker was a chassis builder, yeah. and we'd be building this chassis, and there'd be, you know, how do you attach this uh, steering arm, or how do you yeah. do that? And so I would fabricate it. Right. And I love doing that. So it was all inventive making these cars. I think today it's much more standardized. But oh, back I'm then, sure, yeah. and for anybody listening that knows about drag racing, this was back when the engines were still in front of the driver. Mm. So it was a, uh, I like to think that there was a time in drag racing where the, the guy sat behind that engine and behind the rear wheels. And did you ever get in any of those? And oh, yeah. Them? yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's uh, that, what does that feel like getting in oh. front of a... I think Powerful I think when I like when I think about drag racing and uh, uh, at that time two hundred was a big speed and right. hitting two hundred miles an hour and you and you pull the chute uh, right. that was, I just couldn't think of anything more exciting yeah. and there wasn't in my life I mean I was twenty one right my dream was to go uh -huh. two hundred by the would, time they would let you in that car a twenty one year old it, it yeah, is go ahead and rip it her is out. but because I was hanging around drag racing I knew I was in the drag racing field yeah so they uh, knew you knew I'd handle. been to Bonneville uh, with a guy named Noel Black mm -hmm. who uh, lost his life the year after I was there. But I crewed with him. We went to Salt Flats, and his car ran 300 miles an uh -huh. hour. And Did you see that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I drove the push truck. So this was, this was you would be in the push truck, and I don't know why they let me drive it. I was like 18 or 19. Right. But it was a brand-new Chevy, and it was probably a 68 Chevy push, push truck. And uh, they said, just push that thing up until the truck won't go any farther. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, at about 100 miles an hour... Noel flicked the switch on, yeah, and all of a sudden it felt like you could just stand out in the salt flats. Like it felt like the the push car, the Chevy stopped, yeah, because this car in front just of goes, you just disappeared, and it was just so exciting, you know, being this kid, right? And I'm driving this push car. All right. of a sudden, and this the push thing, car is pushing the big, the main car. That's, that's gonna, right. Till you get it up to 100 miles an hour. Yep. Then he goes, okay, now let's go. Yeah. So you're he, cooking it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're going as fast as this truck will go. I right. mean, you'd be right. like, so uh, that was very, very exciting stuff for yeah. a kid. Uh, and the car would just leave, and then pretty soon uh, it would go over the horizon line. You'd see this a tail of salt spray. Yeah. And the sound was just deafening, just yeah. filled the whole cab. <laughs> and it would get farther away, and then you'd hit shut off. All right. And you just keep driving. You're still at 100 miles an hour. Just keep driving and driving, and pretty soon there's a dot out in the salt. Right. And it, does it shut off because he shuts it off? Or he it, shuts yeah, it off. Yeah. The course uh, is five miles. But you're doing that to try to, to actually um, 
measure your speed, right? You're trying yeah. to break records. And yeah. Did, trying, did, and did yeah. you break records while yeah, you were well, watching Yeah, it? yeah. It was the, uh, they had written right on the side. It was the world's fastest roadster. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and it had a blown Chrysler engine. Yeah. Uh, and I would get to drive it back to the pits, you yeah. know, uh, that kind of stuff. So I was just a kid that was hanging around drag racing. Yes. And, I, and I got to see a lot of things. And through that, uh, working for the chassis company, a, a fellow named Bill Landon came in and he'd crashed his car. Uh, and I was at the track when he crashed and I helped him, you know, roll the yeah. car over. Right. And it broke his ribs. And uh, I didn't think anything about it, but about six months later, he came into the chassis shop to get a, uh, no, what happened is uh, I went to visit him in the hospital. Yeah. And uh, about six months later, he comes into the chassis shop and starts building a new car. And he says, uh, do you want to drive it? Because uh, he didn't want to drive anymore. That was yeah. close to death yeah. as he wanted to come. Got it. So uh, I got to build, uh, help construct my own car and... Uh, all of a sudden, from being a kid with no money, uh, I was racing with the top of the crowd drag, at the drag, time. And doing drag racing. Drag racing, yeah. yeah. So we started touring, doing national <laughs> events. And, you know, now it was you like. You may this, be a first drag racing artist. This could, I might be. I might be. be. The, yeah. But it all, it all adds up. It makes sense today about art. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it all adds up to what's yeah. happening. And, uh, and so, so how anyway, long did we. did you do that? Well, we did it. I did it with uh, Bill for about a year and a half. Very, very successful. Uh, we went, we raced here in Arizona at the uh, Winter Nationals here. Mm -hmm. um, what did your folks think about that? You know, my folks weren't really involved. Yeah, they, they, but they didn't care that you're their son no, was. No, no. As long as you had a job and you were making money and it wasn't they, painting, they really they weren't were okay involved. They, yeah. uh, uh, my mom's brother was uh, the fellow that had the Roadster in the 50s, and, and so she knew a little bit about it. But my dad, I mean, it was all frivolous stuff. Yeah, it you still know? wasn't a job job. Yeah, yeah. You, and, and so he sort of, I don't think he ever came out. Ever yeah. What did us. he want you to do? Did he say what he wanted you to do? Just a good factory job. Yeah. I mean, I went to work where he worked. Yeah. And I think he was really proud of that. Yeah. You know, but that he would not hold my interest. He wanted yeah. you to have something that was steady, that you could take for a lifetime yeah. and raise a family on. Yeah, that's right. And it, and it makes sense because what he went through was... Horrid, yeah. you know. Right. Um, sometime we'll get into his story, but yeah. it was a great story, you know. And I was able to forgive him for everything because of that. Yeah. You know, he was doing the best he could. Yeah. So I'm off racing cars. Right. <laughs> like, and and you the, do this, this for is a the beginning of, years, of doing. Right. Yeah. And then where do you go well, from there? As exciting as it all was, as I got older, I started thinking more this philosophy bent that I have. Mm. I was more philosophical and. I wanted to start going to school, and, and we never talked about education in our home. Uh, my dad always said, I made it to the third grade, and I got you out of high school. Right. You know, that was that was fine. <laughs> I succeeded. <laughs> and my mom, uh, she was uh, like high school or something right. uh, back then. I mean, they got married. She was 16. Yeah. You know, and the family, big family, they thought that was the great thing, married off a daughter. And, right. And so she never finished high school either. Yeah. So I... Inside, I started thinking I really wanted education, yeah. and so I was sort of on my own. It wasn't like the family knew how to do it or right. how we would afford it. Right. So I started going into education, and it meant more than driving this racing car, which mm -hmm. I thought I'm going to have a career driving racing cars. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to have a sure. career in automotive. And I first went to college thinking I'll be an engineer because that fit, but right. I took all the tests. And I was in my 20s, just now coming to school, and did not have a good high school record. Right. Uh, and they took the test. And when I, when I came back to the council, he said, do you have an interest in art? I said, no, no, mm -hmm. not at all. He says, do you <laughs> like teaching? I go, no. You know what? Right. I can't teach anybody. Right. But it turns out that those tests were... Accurate. Yeah. And I, I, it was, they were telling things that I did not know about me and my life at this time. Yeah. So I went in and got interested in, uh, very interested in the natural world all the time because of my grandpa. And uh, so I... I um, so you started college? Yeah, I started and college. And where was this? That was in Sacramento, the yeah. city college, yeah. which uh -huh. you could get in without having good graduating in the city right. college. And I, I loved the poetry, the English, yeah. which I'd done very poorly in English. And all of a sudden I was reading a lot yeah. and uh, really liking... I liked the fact that... Um, um, the spiritual side of things, that there's something 
beyond the cold mechanical world and right. making money and all this that there was there was another side to humanity sort of attracted me so when you started to do that right is this different part of your brain clicks uh-huh. in right yeah so that's it's, what it was yeah. you know right you know your brain is thinking about writing and poetry did the art part start to kick in at that point yet or are you still a little ways away it did all the arts kicked in and the the thing with um uh, visual art is i had no skills so I fell into the same thing that a lot of people, majority of people, can't draw a stick figure kind right. of thing. Right. So I just made that assumption. Yeah. Uh, music, same thing. I I really enjoyed music, but I just didn't understand it. Uh, but I took m- music classes. Yeah. I knew there was something there that these uh, composers were. They were aiming for something other than just making a pleasant sound. There yeah. was something else right. there that was. They were searching. Had had uh, sparked in me. That I wanted, and also uh, unknown to me, um, I was going to City College when uh, Greg Condos was teaching there, mm-hmm. and Wayne Tebow's work was around. So I had seen their saying, work, yeah. And I also was a um, a product of the the hippie generation, right. the late '60s, and uh, was that this time frame? That yeah, you were going. Yeah, the late '60s. That's yeah. right. And my friends that went to Vietnam were coming back, and they all came back smoking dope and yep. uh, taking LSD, uh, all these things. Right. And so my peer group, when they returned, uh, we became hippies. Yep. And you're in California and Sacramento. And, yeah, so that's, that right. that's right. That's right. And Which this was, is 68, 69? Yep. And it was much more about crafts, like going to uh, uh, art fairs then were really sort of craft shows. Right. Did you that, ever go down to the Summer of Love in 67 down to San Francisco? Yeah. You did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In the Grateful Dead. Uh, just love that whole scene. And right. my friends. I mean, it was what my friends, that's what we did. What was 67 and Haight-Ashbury like well, uh, that summer? Well, you would, you would drive down. You'd sleep in your car. Yeah. If you slept at all. Yeah. Uh, a drug at that time was uh, methadrine, and you drank it. Yeah. Um, so you'd stay up. Yeah. And we're, we're kids. You know, we're just kids. Yeah. And I remember having the race car and uh, thinking this was very cool. Uh, I towed my car into Haight-Ashbury, and we had, like, long hair, frizzy right. hair and all right. that. Uh, bought some pot, because that was the only place I knew, and then went on to uh, the races at um, uh, Half Moon Bay. Yeah. Getting, and I, I was very lucky with the cars, but it was because I had this experience since I was a kid. It yeah. came very easy. Yeah. So we made it all the way to the last round. Yeah. But we had spent all our money, <laughs> and we didn't have enough fuel. Yeah. So the semi-round, I pulled up to the line, and the engine faltered, but it picked it up. Yeah. And we won that one. So we went to the finals. But when I pulled up to the line, the engine died. There was no fuel left, and we had no money. We had stopped at Haight-Ashbury. And even getting back, you know, getting back across the bridges out of San Francisco to get back to Sacramento, you had to pay. Yeah. And I had no money to pay, so I had to pull over and go plead my case to the, the bridge tender. Right. Uh, and, and I did, and I sent it, yeah, and I sent him the, the dollar or whatever it was. He did send it in. Yeah. yeah nice. So we had, uh, uh, there was an intermixing of switching to the hippie culture from the racing culture right. and intermixing the two. Yeah. And then intermixing education and knowing that education was, was right. something I wanted, but I didn't feel that I had the tools or I was capable. It was just a craving. I just loved and at this, this point, you didn't thing. start taking art classes with Thibaut or Condos or anything. No. That was later, right? That was later. Yeah. 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 Um, so you go, so you get, so do you end up getting your college education, a degree uh, from, in, at, from the city college? Well, what happened was I was, uh, I didn't think I was an artist and yeah. had those abilities. So I went into, uh, I was very much interested in the natural world, mm-hmm. and I thought one way, uh, I remember uh, meeting a, a ranger on horseback in uh, Yosemite when I was a little kid, Yeah, and I just loved that feeling. Um, and my brother, older brother, had a buddy who had hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. Yeah, there was a, a book called Colin Fletcher's Thousand Mile Summer. Uh-huh. So he had lived that. And uh, so I'd gone backpacking with them up in Desolation Wilderness. Mm. You know, they were older and I'm this kid, you know, again, uh, a 14-year-old going in. uh, And I love that. So when I went back to school, I was more interested in the natural world 
and right. discovering that. And I was very interested in uh, biology, naming plants, right. those kind of things. Kind of really getting away from the the metal of racing and that yeah. kind of thrilled thing, more into a natural world. Yeah, I, that's where I came from, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had a biology degree, and both my parents were research scientists in the in that field. My mom was a botanist. My father's an entomologist, ichthyologist. So I can, I know the the path you go. Yeah, I mean, that could have easily been me as well. Yeah. And so you did that for a period of time. The, I did, and and again, it was. Uh, Totally on my own. There wasn't anybody that could encourage you. You know, right. that parent, when you mentioned your family, right. you know, uh, it was all I, not knowing and just having to go one foot in front of the other and right. go, well, okay. Yeah, let me try this. Yeah. So I wound up um, breaking really free of the racing. And that was hard because that's the only thing I had done on every weekend. Right. Uh, it was very difficult it was to your fill the void. And you could make money. And, and the uh, filling the void mostly. Yeah. What do I do now? So nature filled that. Place. Yeah, and uh, so I uh, and the hippie thing had burned out too. Yeah, the hippies were great. Uh, I loved the philosophical thing. I loved Haight Ashbury, but there was a thing when Garcia said the hippie is dead. Yeah, it was really true yeah. for for somebody like me. Right, because the drugs didn't do it anymore. The um, corporations, uh, people, there was a criminal element. Yeah. All these things that had nothing to do with the summer of love yeah. were coming in. Yeah, that lost pretty quickly, right? I it mean, was. Yeah, by 68, things had really changed. And I was living in a commune, and I just realized, it, I'm just not into being stoned all the time. You know, I had more things I wanted to do. This right, kind of spark yeah. was in me. Uh, and, and the hippies around that time, uh, my friends just weren't philosophical like right. I was. They weren't looking for that Aldous Huxley uh, vision into a, uh, a spiritual world, right. a greater world. Right. So, so the hippie kind of thing left too. Yeah. And I wound up uh, being a naturalist uh, in Sacramento because I was taking these classes uh -huh. at, at I'd, by this time I'd gotten up to Sac State. Yeah. You got the undergraduate degree. So now I, I had the, the gateway open to mm -hmm. a a four-year college, right? And that felt terrific, terrific accomplishment. And I was um, uh, there. Were internships showed up, where mm. I was working along the American River Parkway uh, as a uh, ranger assistant, they called it, or something. Yeah. And I was giving nature programs to kids, right. school kids. And I just loved it. I loved the the learning of the natural world, mm -hmm. uh, birds, plants, everything. You know. And so, how long did you do that? Yeah. I did it for two or three years, and in this time I also realized I loved music. But um, again, I had to overcome that I can't do it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I fell into these people that played bluegrass music. because, I, And I really liked it because it wasn't electric. Uh, also, the Grateful Dead moved to the mountains kind of thing. Uh -huh. it, it was all about going to the mountains. And I heard this guy Supposedly, he was a Chicago blues musician, but he was living in this mountain cabin. He dropped out in, right. in the Sierras, and he was playing this five-string banjo. And yeah. the cabin had no electricity. I mean, we mostly lived free at the time. Mm -hmm. And he just entertained us, and we went... So you went and lived at the cabin? Well, no, I didn't live with him because I was living yeah. in my own cabin with my own group, yeah. uh, hippie so, communes. And so was this like 1970-ish? It was. Right it was, right? right? Yeah, I right. think you got that chronology really yeah. right. And that was the most beautiful sound of hearing him, uh, it was called frailing, a five-string banjo, yeah. while we had spaghetti dinner and had this great time. Uh -huh. And I thought, I would like to do that. And he said he learned how to do it in two weeks. So I had I bought a banjo, yeah, and I bought Pete Seeger's How to Play a Banjo book, yeah. <laughs> and a year later I'm still trying to play right. this uh, Sally Gooden that he was right. playing on the banjo, um, because I didn't know that you really need to get an education in music. It sure. just doesn't happen at that right. time. I was the same that I saw visual people. I you can't draw a stick figure. It's it's a gift that. Picasso has a Rembrandt. Same thing with music. Yeah, you know, right. I can't play a note. It's a gift. That, right. uh, that guy had the gift. Mozart. He, for yeah. him, it did take him two weeks. But for you... Yeah, probably, yeah. I knew nothing about music. And so did music. you go back and, and well, to, what to happened for music or no? No, I, I didn't. What happened is I fell into music, a music group. Yeah. I mean, people that played music yeah. and loved music, home music. And I started hanging out uh, with people who were doing folk music and going to... Uh, uh, called picking parties, yeah. where everybody brings a dish, and 
you play music and some people are bad and some people were good. And Dylan was big at this time. That's right. right. Yeah. That's right. And I loved that lifestyle and yeah. I was going to college and that was the big lifestyle. So you went to college and then yeah. in your free time you hung out with musicians yeah. and made music. Yeah. And were you doing it as a banjo player? Uh, well, I started out as a banjo player, and I still love playing banjo. And I did figure out how to play. Yeah, yeah take a while. Sally Gooden. Yeah. Uh, but I switched to the violin, uh, the fiddle. Yeah. And it's like, you don't know anything about music. Now you take on the hardest instrument. Right. <laughs> Doesn't seem right. And I've had a lot of people show point that out yeah. to me. But that wasn't the thinking. The thinking in my mind was I really liked the feeling of the, the fiddle. Yeah. I'm talking fiddle playing. Yeah. When you say uh, the feeling, you mean... The actual physicality of holding it, or you mean the sound and the way that it worked for you? I'm talking about spiritually raising yourself above. It took me away. You know, that sound of that fiddle and uh -huh. that joy, it gave me really yeah. joy, which goes beyond. I mean, we have the things of the physical world, right. and what they're meant to do is take you above that. And did you also like the fact that it was so much harder to have to learn to do that? Was the challenge part? Part no, I, I don't recall that. I see it more as just, I love the sound. Yeah. I love that people dance to a fiddle. Yeah, so you it was, know, we it would was get like drunk art, and, really, in a, in a way. What? It's like art in a way, right? Yeah, I yeah, mean, I didn't just, know that at the time, yeah, but yeah, I just knew. It struck a chord and you knew you loved it. There was something here greater, and I didn't, yeah. I didn't see the guitar players getting it, and I didn't see the banjo players getting it, right. but I saw the fiddle player right. getting it. And so how long did you, were you a fiddle player? I still am. But how okay? Uh, good for you. <laughs> it's become a lifelong, <laughs> and I'm still learning. And are you? And you're still playing the fiddle? Yeah, yeah. I've I've branched it most recently. Yeah. Like in New York, I was playing jazz and blues and yeah. uh, jazz, and now I've I've been down south for a month, and I've been playing with a. So it's still a part of your group. life. Then. Oh yeah, it's very yeah. much a part of my life. So when did art? Okay, over. we're getting there, almost yeah, there. Yeah. So huh? uh, I know it had to be getting close. <laughs> and I guess I have to finish up with this natural world thing. Oh, yeah. Um, because I was this intern uh, at, uh, at, at the parks doing nature tours, I had this idea that now I could, uh, I could follow that dream of being the ranger in uh, uh, Yosemite. Yeah, that would be a great job, actually. So I started applying. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I started applying, and I realized for every backcountry ranger opening in Yosemite, they oh, had yeah. like 3,000 applicants. Oh, yeah. And most of them already have bachelor's oh, degrees, yeah, but some sure. of them have PhDs and doctorates in, yeah, no. in biology. Yeah, no. To get this no, job. I it was a very that. much yeah. of a... Yeah, very so, well. And did you get it? I, well, I applied, <laughs> and I can remember, and I, I was diligent on it, you yeah. know, getting my resume together and I applied every year and I applied two years I almost think it was three years but on the third year I lowered my standards a little bit because I had this roommate her name was Lauren and uh, her dad was worked for the Forest Service mm -hmm. which I only wanted to be in the Park Service yeah you know uh, but she uh, I gave my application you know I because of her encouragement I put in my application and son of a gun, I got a job as a backcountry ranger in Desolation Wilderness above Lake Tahoe. And this was as a for with the Forest Department. With the Forest yeah. Service, yeah. yeah. I applied, by the way, to Yellowstone when I was a, <laughs> as a ranger too. Yeah. I, I was, you know, I'll do clean toilets. I didn't care what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I had all these science degrees and things. I didn't get it either. Not even <laughs> the clean toilets. And that brings up a, a big thing too about art. And that's about the persistence versus the talent kind of thing yeah. or the techniques. So anyway, I got this wilderness job, which I really loved. Yeah, I bet. It was the dream come true. Yeah, above Tahoe. It's and, fantastic. And uh, one of my neighbors where I lived in Sacramento at the time because I was going to Sac State uh, was, had been a ranger. And he'd been a ranger for 10 summers. Mm -hmm. You know, he's going, I'll never do anything else, you know. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's me. Yeah. You know, the rest of my life, I'll just, every summer, I know what I'm going to be. Right. You know, that's how that. much, how powerful the whole thing yeah. was. But my folks had other plans. And their plan was that I had to borrow money in order to afford this lifestyle of mine. I had to borrow money from them. And they were kind of going, you know, it's time. Got it. You got to go on your own. And I was in my late 20s. They didn't want to pay for the fiddling. And the yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. And the race car Very driving. smart on their part, yeah, you know. I, I see the reasoning there. But they had retired. And one, one way that my folks had broken out of the poverty 
was that they liked real estate. Yeah. And I said, my dad liked farms, so he'd buy a farm. He wouldn't quit his job, but he'd yeah. buy a farm or something. So as they retired, they opened a real estate office up in the mountains. Mm. And I was totally uh, uh, that hippie culture, uh, idealistic, anti-capitalist. Right. And I wanted nothing to do with that, except right. I was getting older and I couldn't pay my bills yeah. without borrowing money from them. So I told them that I would, uh, my, and my mom's big dream is that if I, I went to work with them in the real estate office. Mm. And uh, so I told them I would. Mm. Uh, they, they paid uh, the tuition for me to go and get a, a license in California. Yeah. And instead of doing that, I drank beer and smoked dope. <laughs> and I didn't know, you have, you have to use these things within six months, I think it was. Yeah. So all of a sudden, I decided, okay, I'm going to get serious and get this license like I told my folks. And it wasn't valid anymore. Yeah. I had wasted away. Okay. So I had to go back to them again. They oh. had to pay the tuition again. And then I, I it. <laughs> took it serious and yeah. I got it done. So I had gotten this license to sell real estate in California. And it's almost like they come in the mail, the license to sell real estate and the offer of a wilderness ranger job. Oh, wow. So I took the job, yeah. wilderness ranger job, and asked forgiveness from my folks, yeah. even though I was off to a shaky start with them, uh, yeah. that uh, <laughs> I, after this summer that I would come back and do real estate. So it worked out great. Uh, I, again, um, I found these mountain cabins. Uh, part of uh, being in the backcountry, what would happen is, the the mule the the packer would meet me at the trailhead, mm -hmm. and then we'd pack in, uh, and I'd be in for ten days, yep. and uh, and then I'd hike out, and I'd have four days off, and then we'd do the routine all, all summer long. We did this, so in my time of being in the backcountry for ten days, I would meet cabin owners, and I really found that um, I it appealed the architecture of a mountain cabin really appealed mm. to me. It was that inventiveness yeah, again, right? You know these people. Uh, Echo Lake is one particular place. Um, there's no road back there, so everyone built their cabin either by packing in the materials or taking wow. it by boat. Right, and you and, could recognize that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I love that. I love that inventiveness. That yeah. fit right into where right. I was going, even though I didn't know that. Yeah. And so uh, that worked well with the real estate. When I got out right. of uh, my, uh, the summer was over and I had to go pay my dues and uh, work for the real estate company. Uh, uh, my folks, you know, I said I had the real interest, so right. they encouraged me to to go up and and I started selling mountain cabins yeah. and buying mountain cabins and fixing them up and yeah. building. I got a contractor's license. All that went great. And and so you I found was, a profession. I was. Yeah. And one thing that once I had money, um, I found that uh, what I like to do is I I didn't know I liked to do this, but. Uh, when I'd see art, like this nice piece behind you here, yeah. I realized I could buy it. Yeah. So I started becoming a collector. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun, and I didn't know anything about art. Right. But I liked that, and I and I would buy things from the local people. You know, when I'd go to right. an art show or something, I, I could afford it. Were, I had money now. <laughs> yeah, you were scratching that itch that was deep down inside. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun. Uh, then, uh, then I had the crisis in life that a lot of, a lot of people go through. The, the bottom fell out of the market. And, and what I, year was this? Mm, it was in the 80s, mid-80s. Mid-80s. Okay, yeah. so you've been doing this now for almost 15 years? Yeah, that's right, at yeah. 15 years. Yeah, and you're making a good living, and you've done well. You think you found yeah. what you want to do. Yeah. At least it seems to be satisfying. And then the market implodes in California. It and, did. It and, did. Uh, <laughs> and also, and, and I'm... I think other listeners would understand this. The the whole the family fell apart too. Yeah, the well, wife leaves. Oh, wow. kind of like yeah. everything's. And so you're mid thirties at this time. Uh, I'm in my early forties. Yeah. Yes. Mid thirties, and so this was a period of time that went into my forties. Yeah. So the world fell apart. Right. And I'm I'm at the bottom. Right. And I'm looking for how do I put this together. Right. And I realized that when I was in the real estate business, it went from that joy of putting people together and all that, um, and seeing architecture and all that, it went to just needing money yeah. and the people sitting Became at the table. transactional instead yeah, of something. That's it. Uh, yeah, that's it. And so yeah. I had and, this spark. Lost. That, it lost its fulfillment. It did. Yeah. It did. And, and, and so things weren't going well anyway, and I started looking around 
what is something I could do? And my mom, and this gets back to your original question, this is a long story to mm -hmm. it, pulls out drawings from kindergarten that, that I done. made right. finger painting, right. and I remembered making them. All of a sudden, yeah. my mind, just there's a book called Drawing from the Right Side of the Brain, yeah. and what she says, go back and find your earliest artwork. Yep. I tell you, it's truth. It's gospel. So I went back, and she pulled out this beautiful stack of uh, on butcher paper, yeah. unfolding them, and uh, and I remember uh, 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 being a little kid, going to kindergarten, and seeing a cross rock, mm -hmm. crosswalk guard for the first time, how they put the sign out, right. traffic stopped. And when I got into my classroom, I made a painting of that. And, and I don't know if the teacher's going, oh, what are you doing, you know, kind right. of thing. But that was part of the staff. Yeah, stack. you were innately into it. Yeah, I yeah. remember doing it. There was a, it was a narrative. There was right. the story. And so I just said, you know, this makes me feel good. This made me feel really good. It grounded you somehow. As, and here I'm at the bottom, so I'm yeah. going, well, if I start up, I have a, some business sense now. Right. So let's make art. Let's see what, about doing art. So I didn't know how I would be as an right. artist or anything. I just had this feeling. Right. And I, uh, one of my good, I had a couple of good friends that uh, had advanced degrees by this time. In art. And, uh, education. Yeah, okay. Both of them were in education. But one of them had taken a class from Wayne Tebow. Yeah. And uh, uh, he said, well, if you don't know if you're an artist or not, you should take a class from Wayne Tebow. Yeah. And, and he's said, at Sacramento College? He's at uh, UC Davis. At UC Davis, okay. Yeah, he had been at City College yeah. when I was really when you young. Were there. Okay. Yeah, so now so, he's at UC Davis. And he's, this is, so this is mid-80s, so he, in 61, he showed with Alan Stone with his pies. So he's oh, yeah. now big stuff. He's big stuff. Yeah, he's really a big, well-known New York artist, but he likes Sacramento, that's where he's from, and yeah. he stays there. And, and you're fortunate enough to get to take classes with him. Well, yeah, that's jumping a little bit ahead. Okay. Because the thing is, is, is uh, and I realized I'd seen his art. Yeah. And I loved it. Yeah. I mean, it really, it did that it thing. It resonated. It made that yeah. jump above right. the material world for me. Right. And I really liked it. But um, to go to UC Davis, you need a lot more credentials than I currently have yeah. at the time. <laughs> uh, and I hadn't finished Sac State because when I got my wilderness job, my life took a change, yeah, you, you know, to what, real estate yeah, and all that. Yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I don't need so, to do anything else. Yeah, right. So I didn't get my degree from Sac State. So I took Jim's advice, yeah. and it took all my courage because I went to this campus, this big right. campus. Right. Um, I had to find my way to this class. I went into this class, first day of class. I mean, it is overflowing with students. I'm sure. To see this Wayne Tebow Everybody guy. Everybody wants to be in with that guy. And uh, it was life drawing, figure drawing. Uh, and I was there about a week when the, the TA came over to me, the teacher assistant, and said, you know, we see you're not registered. Mm. And there's a lot of students in this class. Right. We're going to have to ask you to leave. Right. So I left. And uh, part of my program of healing, being hurt, is I went to Yosemite. Yeah. And I was hanging out in Yosemite camping. And I called Jim from one of those pay phones in, in the campgrounds and telling him my sad story. And, and Jim just said, you just go right back there. Right. With Wayne thinks you're a painter, he's not going to turn you down. Yeah. So that took a lot of courage of both Jim to have that kind of insight. Yeah. And... Uh, and I just thought, God, this is this is really humiliating myself. <laughs> but I'm going to do it because I really wanted that is it hard. bad. Because you know that TA is going to come up to you, or at least you're afraid he's going to do the same yeah, thing. It's like yeah. I told you to leave. And I'm totally out of my element. And of, you're out of your element in academia. Yeah. I I felt very uncomfortable in right, academia. I'm sure. So I went back in, and the miracle happened. You know, uh, she went over and talked to Wayne, and Wayne came over and said, "I'll see you after class." Didn't kick me out. Right. And after class, uh, took me to his office and at, started talking to me, interviewing me. And right. I said, so tell me told, the story. Basically. Yeah, yeah. And I was telling him my, uh, uh, what I knew. And, and so he, he introduced art history to me. I did not know about art history, yeah. you know, because I thought if you're an artist, it was gifted to you. Right. And you uh -huh. just started out. Uh -uh. So I didn't know. It's built. It's built. Yeah, and, that's right. And so he, uh, he gave me his book on Sorolla. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he gave me his book on that had just come out on him uh, about the S Society of Six. Yeah. Uh, 
and they were autographed by himself, and these were his personal books. So and he just I, says, take them? Bring them back. He, yeah. he, he loaned them to me. <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, which I'm just going, wow. You know, I mean, I felt very, very honored. Oh, of course. I was very yeah, honored. very much so. Uh, and... I got Sorolla back to him, okay. The other one caught a little coffee or wine stains on it. I don't remember what. And I, was, I was so embarrassed to take it back to him. And finally, I said, can I buy it? Yeah. And I thought, oh, geez, he's just trying to get something from the signature. You know, all those yeah. things. You just don't know right. what the world's like. Right. So, right. But anyway, that's how I got started. And uh, Wayne, I just was so happy every time we took the class. And so Jim and uh, Betsy was the other woman that I knew that had a master's in education. Mm -hmm. You know, they said, well, you got to go back to Sac State, take care of that. And, and so that started my art career. So and you went back to Sac State to get your degree so you could go back to UC Davis to really be with, like, Wayne Tebow? Well, at that time, I, I didn't even have that big of ambition. I did not know. All I knew is that I wanted to paint. Right. And I wanted to learn as much as I could. I did not really know the stepping stones as clearly as that. Today, right. I could tell you. But at that time... Right. I just, I just started taking art classes. I got rid of any luxurious toys that I had. Right. I lived within, because I knew from my business, there's where my business paid right. off the 15 years, is I knew I had to live within my means. Yes. And I knew that this, this art thing worked because that gave me joy. Yeah, so when and, you did that, yeah. you got the same feeling that you did with race cars, Ranger, exactly. and the fiddle, right? There it was. All three. And you go, this one hits that yeah. same That when thing. you can make yeah. an image, it feels so good. I mean, yeah. it, there's that feeling. I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> but God, I oh, wish I could. Yeah, yeah. We could sit down and you'd be doing a good job <laughs> no, for I, too long. No. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see my finger paintings, did you? <laughs> but I can appreciate it. So that's how I got into art. And it... It's just, I've never really thought I'd get a master's. I never thought I'd be teaching at a university. So tell us all about these that. Things well, yeah, all where, happened. where did you teach One that? Step. Where did you teach? Well, originally, uh, I mean, the first time I taught, it, it was when, at University of Idaho. Yeah. Now, I mean, there's a lot happened between when I went back to Sac State and I finally started getting a master's. That was a period right. of about eight years, which... Right. Had a lot of interaction back with Tebow, with Condos. Yeah, who's uh, another guy we represent. He's yeah. fantastic. He's good friends with Wayne, and they work together. And, and did and did uh, Condos help you as well? Oh, yeah. Uh, both both Condos and Tebow, even though I've been in New York, New York artists and all that, I mean, they. I was so lucky to be yeah. around those guys. And even though they... They might say, "Oh, they're they're regional because they're all do Sacramento Valley." They are tremendous painters. Oh, yeah. They 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 jump beyond regionalism. Oh, they, for sure. They make that leap. Yeah, easy. You know, easy. Yeah, yeah and they're yeah. both national academicians as well. <laughs> yeah, and you don't know that when you're a student just no. being in there. You know, no. you don't realize how good these people are. And did you get to take a class with uh, with uh, Condos as well? I did. Yeah, I nice. did. I wasn't. Um, I took workshops with condos yeah. because I I didn't go back to Sac State. He had retired. We were both in a gallery together, uh, John Natsoulis and Davis. Yeah. We were both in that gallery together. So so you were I actually in with condos. Isn't that amazing, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was fun. That I was bet fun. that was a big... Wasn't Didn't that feel kind of amazing to be with one of your mentors? Yeah. Oh, Showing. yeah, very much. Oh, I was just really honored. I, I mean, that was... Yeah. And, and especially if uh, Wayne was showing, too. If yeah. there was a show, yeah. I mean, I just... I'd be in, Amazing. yeah, just walk around the show and just love. It was like when I came into your gallery, just fantastic <laughs> art in here. And, you know, I just wander around, I'm, and here I am among these guys. Uh, uh, I didn't feel like I should be there kind of thing, or just right. very honored to be right. in that same territory. And then there was a, a big peer group that follows that Sacramento Valley style painting, too. Yeah, like, well, Fritz Shoulder uh, was there, too. And it's really funny that you bring up Fritz, because... Fritz, and now now that I'm being involved in your gallery, some other things fall back. But Fritz, and I was trying to think of this, um, he either was a student, student at Sac State or taught at Sac State. Yeah, he may have done both, actually. Because I remember seeing, and this was back when I was an undergraduate, mm -hmm. so I'm just putting together my art history. I'm learning all right. the stuff that Tebow said you have to build up right. to get to, you know. 
techniques and all these things. I'm building that vocabulary up. And uh, so the Crocker Museum was right. my main go-to museum. Yeah. And I'd go there all the time. Fantastic Say a couple museum. times a week, yeah. whatever, to try. I'd go into a museum, and I wouldn't understand how they did it. So, I mean, every time I'd go in as a student, I was just going, God, how did they make that figure? How did they get that hand to look? Right. And it was just such a mystery that I was trying to unravel. Because yeah. you were doing the mechanical part at this part. Yeah, trying, I was you, trying to learn how You were to, trying to actually learn how they put paint onto canvas yeah. and how did they do it. Yeah. And I see that a lot, actually. <laughs> artists will come into my gallery all the time and mm -hmm. look at great artists that we have here. And you can just see them quizzically looking, how in the hell did Dixon do that? And exactly. you'll see them attack it from the side of the canvas. They're looking on the side. They're <laughs> so looking up true. like this, right? <laughs> yeah. How did they get that paint to do that? Yeah. And, yeah. and that is part of the process. It's just fascinating. I mean, when you really get into it, it's, yeah. it's just, and, and it happens slowly. You know, yeah, you finally get that. You know, and it, right. just, it just takes so much going to museums and, and of course, looking at uh, reproductions, whether it's on the internet or, you know, right. uh, G. Clay's, or right. you just, it's, it's just a wonderful uh, education and the things that happen and the, the bios of artists. I mean, I was just gobbling up bios of artists. I love reading bios. Yeah, and I that's why I listen to your podcast yeah, on the right? drive because it's just so. <laughs> Isn't much. it interesting? It when is. see, I mean, that's really why I want to do this show. Is I yeah. get to understand how people tick and what makes them interested in art, and it kind of somehow affects me too. Because why am I doing what I'm doing? Sometimes you yeah. just don't know. I mean, it's yeah. so deep and guttural, you really can't even express it, other than you just know that you want to do it. Yeah, and um, it seems like there's always a thread with artists. They have the same kind of resonation that they have to do it. For whatever reason, they, they're not happy unless they're making, creating, learning, listening. And you do that still, right? I mean, yeah. obviously you still paint. I mean, you're yeah. showing your work. It's fantastic. And, yeah. oh, you have to mention before we close it up, because it's really interesting. Believe it or not, we've probably already gone an hour, but <laughs> a little bit about Andy Warhol, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Talk about that, because you're doing some stuff for us right now yeah. that's inspired from that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so jumping up to the future 10 years ago, I think it's a, maybe it's even more than 10 years ago. So like I say, I didn't really say, okay, I'm going to be an artist and I'll get a master's degree, all that. All, I was just going one step at a time. Right. I mean, things led me on to, to eventually getting master's, teaching. Um, my wife was... Uh, working at UC Davis in administration. Uh, I had a teaching job up at Lake Tahoe. They're, they're about 150 miles apart. Um, so I had to make a decision. And the, the decision was that I would leave my teaching job so I could be home in Davis. She had her nine to five, five days a week, yep. ride her bike to campus. It was just an ideal life. Uh, and I just painted full time. Uh, even though I love teaching, I mean, it right. was, you know, one of those hard decisions. Right. So anyway, by by giving me uh, the time, extra time on my hands, so then I uh, I wound up getting a, uh, a uh, teaching assignment on campus. Yeah. And I was teaching uh, figure painting uh, on Wednesday nights. And I did that for about three years. And it was ideal. You can't make a living at it or anything, but that was our... Are domestic, right. and it kept me painting. And I'd have studios around uh, the area in Davis. I had uh, one in a horse barn. My longest time was a uh, it was an abandoned horse barn. Uh, property was for sale, and they they had it for sale for a few years. So mm -hmm. I set up a, a studio in the barn, and it was very neat, very cool. Uh, in fact, very cool. I mean, there were. I had to stand right next to a heater in the winter time because yeah. the, the, there was a lot of air coming right. through the place, and in the summer it was sweltering. So you learn to paint dictated by the the conditions. <laughs> the yeah, but in that time, um, I had grown more confident with my work as it kept progressing, mm -hmm. and I was starting to see a narrative into it. Um, Almost like I want to sidetrack into my 3D paintings, but we won't sidetrack yeah. into that. No, we don't. Okay, have time let's to go. That. To, let's go to Andy Warhol. Yeah, let's go okay. right to Andy Warhol. So uh, uh, I had this thing that um, I wanted to paint in New York because mm -hmm. I just I had more energy and more to do than 
bicycling to my Wednesday night class, which I loved, right. and my students, and you love that and all that. Uh, I just wanted more. So yeah. I hatched this idea. And also the property that I had, uh, these mountain cabins that I talked about, I had bought and I'd rented out. Uh, we're starting to make enough money so that um, I had a little bit of luxury right. in my art career. Because once I gave up the real estate, I had no money at all. And it was just an art. But now it, they had kind of come up. And I thought, you know, if I did this and this, real estate talking, renting right. properties, I could, and I got, internet was, was around then, and right. it made things easier. And I had found a property on, on the internet, and I said, I could go to New York. And I go, I want to do that. And it so was you do. very exciting. Yeah. And what year was this? 2004. Yeah, so that's when you... I left my job at UC Davis. Yep. Gave up at the barn. Yep. Put it all in the U-Haul. Yep. Went out across country. My wife says, this is crazy. Yeah. You know? Uh, so she had her job, and she stayed in Davis. And I uh, took off, and uh, my career was I'd, I had this loft in New York, and then I'd drive home every summer right. and uh, take care of my rental properties. Also, I thought I would be teaching summer school, too. And you're what, mid-50s at this point? Yeah, I am. Yeah. I am. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's important for people to realize as artists that don't be afraid to do something in your mid-50s. I mean, you're, oh, making, yeah. you're making a big deal here. I mean, you're taking a chance. And also, your ego could get slaughtered again, oh, depending yeah. on what happens. And so you do that. You make the move. You go. And, and it's a successful thing, right? And how does yeah. that translate into what you're doing now with Andy Warhol. Did you know Andy? <laughs> Did you meet uh, Andy? Yeah, we keep getting to that. But also, I just want to add one little thing, yeah. though, with what you're saying. Yeah. Because the first time, and I'm in New York, and everybody's younger, you know, they're right, right out of grad school, sure. 30s. Right. They're hot. And it's crazy all around me. Right. Uh, as far as living styles sure, and everything. Sure. So uh, when I saw that uh, one of the big museums had artwork of a guy that was in his 70s, yeah, the first his first solo sure. show that was really that was necessary for me. Yeah, because I did think it was a, a hopeless cause. Yeah, other than I needed to create work yeah, for your own. Yeah. So because I was in this, and we're talking now, we're on at Andy. Yeah, I was in this period for about a year when I first the first year I was there. I didn't know what to do. I, you know, I knew that what I had learned uh, was regional. Mm -hmm. I knew that, and also I had some rather angry professors who really hated California artists yeah. that I had to go through their classes right. and all this, you know, in my education. Uh, but I knew, uh, and and so I was very steeped in Bay Area Figurative. I love yeah, like Bay Area Figurative. Nathan Figure. Oliveira, one of my and favorites. This, and this gets the Fritz, too. Yeah. Seeing uh, yeah. his painting in the, in the Crocker, I, and, I, and I understood the, those first things that Tebow was telling me, when you understand art history, you can read this, and you could see Fritz's interest in Native American and right. Bay Area figurative. Yeah, very much so. Whoa, yeah. beautiful, and I yeah. loved it right nice away. Concept. I just loved that he took that and yeah. did that. That gave me hope for wherever my goal is, because you can't, you can't figure you're going to be a landscape painter or of anybody else. You just have to go so no, that you right. find your own little niche. place. That's right. So finding my niche is that when I got to New York. And I realized, as I learned about the New York art world versus what I'd left in California, and uh, is that they had a very different emphasis. And pop art, which I'd learned from Tebow, and Wayne always said, and I never understood when he said this, he'd say, I'm a painter first. Mm. Secondary, you can call me a pop artist, landscape artist, but I'm a painter first. And I never, I mean, I heard him say it, and of course, he's, he's God, so yeah, yeah. I, you know. In other words, don't ism me. Don't put me into that little package. <laughs> yeah. I'm a painter. What he loved was painting. Yeah, the, I'm a painter. The investigation of paint. Yeah, I get it. So I get to New York, and I'm involved in pop art, but the pop art that I came to see in New York and that the galleries, as I was going around and understanding, isn't about people that are there because they love painting. They're there because they love being an artist. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what you do as long as that makes you a successful artist. Right. So it's sort of the Andy Warhol model. And I, I like to see it as a fork in the road. It was a fork in the road in my career where it actually fits, fits 
uh, art historically, who knows? But it may be at the same fork that I found. Right. But the fork in the road was that Andy would rather have somebody else <clears throat> do his work for him. And then he loved being a celebrity. Mm-hmm. He loved being popular. Uh that was that was his goal as an artist. He loved it yeah. when you. No, he was him a great artist. artist. He could really paint too. We can talk about that yeah. off camera. I think. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I've seen some of his illustrations, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had the technical chops. Yeah, to paint. Let's you can just give say him that. due. You yeah. can give him due, yeah. and I and I and I can show you the things that I like too. Yeah, and we can give him due. Yeah. But basically. But he had this other aspect exactly. Yeah, and right, and that, that most of the people, and so pop art then has this. Um, I don't know if it's the main road or a fork in the road of that the artist is really and is really a uh, business person. Mm-hmm. They're not looking for that spark, that feeling of joy that takes them out of the material world. They're looking at art as being part of the material world. Mm-hmm. Getting those prints out, getting those galleries, right. that kind of thing. And that that really frustrated me because in as I've gone through this education from not knowing how to paint at all to now being confident in knowing how right. to paint, being able to go into a museum and go, oh, yeah, I know how he did that. Yeah. That's how he did yeah. That's an interesting, you know, that change of how you look at art. Yeah. I'm looking at some very famous, successful people that aren't really doing much for art. They're yeah. not they really. They didn't do it that way. No, that's right. They really don't know kind of what they're doing in some cases. They have somebody else yeah. doing it or so. But yet they're artists and they're being heralded as great artists and all. And I see it's more about a machine. It's more about the marketing. And that's what pop art means to a lot of people. Yeah. And I have friends. I mean, that, that, that's their goal. And, and that's good goal. Everyone makes their choice. Right. But I knew I had made my choice toward Tebow's side. Yeah. And I love that. And rather than to get angry and write angry letters on uh, uh, the Internet's getting pretty popular and, you know, rather than showing my chops on uh, putting somebody down because it's not really art and all that, I realized, okay, this is that spark. This is the thing. And I I started pursuing this idea of me painting and Andy Warhol's pop art. Right. And it really kind of took, it took, um, the, the, the idea started coming together at the Metropolitan. I was at the Metropolitan. I had a, uh, a membership to the Metropolitan when I first went. I, I got memberships to the museums because I figured that would be a good right. idea. And I would sketch in the Met. And and this thing started formulating of giving what I think that the, the real world, Mel's world, my narrative, what I'm experiencing, and putting it over a, a Warhol image. Yeah. And it's almost, it became, all these things are things that keep me driving and painting today, yeah. is that I'm communicating I'm, it's it's deep in art history for me. It satisfies that that I'm communicating. You're creating. Yeah, I'm doing something nobody else has ever right. done. Uh, and you're and, showing it at Medicine Man Gallery. That's a, <laughs> there's the most important aspect. I am now. Huh? Huh? So that was the that's how it's gone. It's been going for ten years. A lot of critics, a lot of things. Uh, some things have been written about it. You know. Yeah. Uh, I love it all. I just love it all because it's really an original idea that has all the elements that keep me going right. and that's I'm always exploring painting I'm always hoping I'm getting better or doing new things and uh, and what I'm producing I've never seen anybody else yeah. else do and I think that's it folks you know you create yeah you know explore investigate and be true to yourself and if you do you're going to have a great ride it seems like that's what you've had is like a, this amazing ride that I don't think is over yet no, <laughs> I I could probably finish up with talking about uh, what excites me about being in the gallery. Yeah, is that um, in this I see a combination of uh, uh, some of the jobs that I've had over my life. I was a uh, I I was on a surveying crew along the Anza Borrego Desert, uh, and I was since I was a young man, I loved backpacking. I had lots of energy. I ran what they call the front of the line, mm-hmm. which was the first people in. And you get to see all the rattlesnakes. And, right, love that. And the broken pots and right. and uh, the Gila monsters and all that. And then the rest of the crew comes along. And I love being in that spot. Uh, and it, I, it, it was an education on the Southwest. Yeah. 
I'd never seen the Southwest like that. And you're out there and you're out there for hours and sometimes the crew, you know, they drop you off, you're in a spot for hours and the crew comes back and gets you like yep. six hours later. And that's your job as a surveyor. Yeah. Uh, and I, I like that, that got me interested in, a, in both the Southwest, the flora, the fauna, the history. Right. And when we start talking, I just saw this is a this is a direction for Andy to go because that's it's from my heart. It's yeah. a pureness. Yeah. And I like that pureness of it. Is that now and you you can probably see by what I've so far how I've involved right. in it, right. I'm trying to come into it and bring that pureness into it. I don't know where it's gonna go. Yeah. Hey, I like it. <laughs> you know, and I think that's the most important. If you find an audience even of one, which is yeah. Sometimes I mean, it's just one. Yeah. And so yeah. these yeah. Folks, go to my website. You can see all these things. You can see Mel's mother's work. And I, Mel, thank you for taking the time, dropping in on your way from Florida to Tahoe yeah. to just spend a little time with us and be on the Art Dealer Diaries. It's fantastic. You're a really interesting human being, and I'm glad I've gotten to know you. Well, it's nice having somebody uh, sit there and listen to your story. It's a, it. That's a that's gift. That's what it's about. I love it. All right. All right. See you Mel later. Mel Summers, thank you. Okay.